Welcome to the Self Storage University podcast, where you will learn the correct way to identify, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, renegotiate, finance, turn around, and operate self storage facilities. And now, here is your host, a partner in one of the largest real estate portfolios in the U.S. with nearly $1 billion of holdings, Frank Rolfe. The self-storage industry is filled with brokers. There's good brokers, there's average brokers, and then there's really bad brokers. But sometimes there are some good attributes to those bad brokers. This is Frank Roth, the Self-Storage University podcast. We're going to talk about good things that can come from bad brokers. First off, what would a bad broker be? A bad broker would be a broker that doesn't have a very good mastery of self-storage or what the important items are, possibly has really bad sales skills, doesn't follow up. You call and they don't return it. You email and they don't respond. Someone that lies, although it may be unintentional, as to what even the asset is, how many units it has, current occupancy, current rents. Generally, someone you really just can't trust their information and or you can't even trust their sales ability, their ability to communicate with you or even simply return your email or your call. So what good can come of that? Why would you want to work with a bad broker? How, how is that going to benefit you at all? Well, it does have some positive attributes. Now, the first thing is that brokers get listings from bonding with moms and pops. So when a mom and pop is looking at selling their self-storage facility, what they do is they call typically several brokers, at least three, and they say, I'm thinking of a selling. What do you think I can get for this thing? And the brokers will pretty much feel them out and kind of offer them the moon or whatever it takes to get the listing. But the one they choose between the three, it just becomes a matter of who do they like? Who do they bond with? Who's the friendliest? And the truth is many of those bad brokers are some of the friendliest. If you really look at the ones who are not very skilled in what they do, they're very chatty. They're very personable. And you can see why some moms and pops who don't know any better would say, ooh, I like this broker, even though of all three they could select, it's the worst one. And because of that simple fact, often bad brokers get really good deals. Now, you would think it'd be the contrary, that the, the potential seller would say, okay, let me look over here, all the other brokers out there, and who's the biggest, and who sells the most, and who has the best social media reviews, but that's not true. Normally, it comes down to they like you or do they don't, because many of the mom and pop sellers are somewhat unsophisticated. So right out of the chute, let's all acknowledge that bad brokers get good deals. And the next item is that those same bad brokers typically have really good communication skills with those sellers. They bonded with them. And as a result, they can typically get deals done that other brokers might not be able to. Because what happens is when you go to buy that self-storage facility and you say, oh, well, you know, gosh, I don't think I can pay more than X. That bad broker will go to the mom and pop and say, hey, mom and pop, I got an offer of X. And mom and pop will suddenly say, okay, well, who do you trust? What, do you think this is a good deal? Should we go with this buyer? And the bad broker, if they say, yeah, I think it's a good offer, then your deal has been cut. So again, bad brokers still have the ability to make deals happen because they have that pull with mom and pop. They have that inside track. So their bonding is a very, very important force. Also, bad brokers tend to wear out good buyers because most people get fed up. They say, gosh, you never returned my call. You never responded to my emails. I sent you a contract and you never even responded to the thing. They get mad. They feel insulted, disrespected. So they say, I'm not going to call that broker anymore. 
guy's mean. He's no good. He doesn't ever, doesn't ever do anything for me. And what happens? They stop talking to the bad brokers. They stop reaching out. They stop saying, do you have any new listings? If they see any new listings, it comes across on email or somewhere they don't even respond. They say, oh, I'm not going to call that guy. That guy is bad. But therefore, as a result, you have less competition with the bad broker because many buyers get fed up. They quit. But if you don't, if you hang in there and keep calling that bad broker, you've got less people to compete with. So that's another good attribute is with the bad broker, you've got a more selective playing field. You have a lot more opportunity there. And since the bad broker has fewer buyers because they're scared of all the way, they're typically a lot more negotiable when it comes to price and terms. Many of your bad brokers are thinking through their own inability and bad skills that that self-storage facility just isn't hot, not in vogue, not in demand. And they'll communicate that either verbally or through uh, you know, any kinds of mojo or body language to mom and pop. Oh, man, I think we're in trouble. We better drop that price a lot to get this out the door. They're also more prone to take your deal and accept it and embrace it a lot harder because they know there's fewer people looking at buying. So once again, them chasing off all of the buyers has really helped you a lot. It makes your offer seem a lot more competitive and a lot better because there's not many to choose from. Now, one problem you have with bad brokers, of course, is that they typically have really poor accuracy on the deal details. So that, that can always is an issue. They tell you that this self-storage facility has 400 units, it's only got 330. They tell you that the rent, rent is $100 a month, it turns out it's 85. So they're notorious for having really bad data, but often that's because mom and pop give them bad data and they're not skilled enough to spot it and say, wait a minute, I know that's wrong. I know based on the number of acres and what I saw myself and what I counted, there's no way that's the right number of units. I know that rent is wrong. I saw the banner out front. So when you use a bad broker, go in with the full knowledge. You're going to have to do really good due diligence on your own because you can't go by what they tell you because they don't have a clue what they're doing. So that's one of the big drawbacks. But again, you can get over that, right? You should do great due diligence anyway, whether it's a good broker or a bad broker. You can't trust other people to make your decisions. It's your money. You're a future. You can't entrust that to some stranger you don't even know, particularly when he's trying to sell you something. So that problem that a lot of people say, oh, I don't use that broker, lousy broker, lies to me all the time. Okay, well, why are you looking at them to do your diligence? You don't need to be. But at the same time, you know, their real secret strength is that they're really good at getting mom and pop to do things. And this is very much in play when it comes to seller financing. I would say a bad broker has a better shot of getting you a seller note than a good broker would. Why? Because the good broker is very fluid in the market and they know what banks are doing and what banks are making loans and the entire banking process, but the bad broker doesn't. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He's a much limited supply of buyers. Let's be honest, typically his buyer pool is typically more of the amateur than the professional. Professionals already gave up on him. They don't even talk to him anymore. Even though there's good deals to be had there, they think, ah, it's too unprofessional. I don't want to work with that person anymore. If you're looking for seller financing, you're going to get that on a lot more ready basis from the bad broker than the good broker. Because the bad broker has bonding to get it done, and he's going to send the vibe to mom and pop, you better take this deal with the seller financing, because I don't know if we can get a bank loan. Whereas the good broker would say, oh, no, mom and pop, don't do seller financing. You can get this from a bank. It's not that hard. I've done a bunch of deals. Here's the ten, last 10 bankers I use. Well, I, I know all of them would do that loan. So they can sometimes get you magical terms. You have a much better shot of getting a lower down payment and, or seller financing or both, plus a lower price from the bad broker than you ever do from the good broker because the field is much more competitive with the good broker than it is the bad. The bottom line to it all is there's nothing wrong 
with talking to bad brokers. Every self-storage buyer should have a list of all brokers they talk to on a continual basis, probably monthly, but they should not exclude any broker from that list. You'll feel really stupid when the deal that would have been perfect for you and your budget and your financial future is lost simply because you kicked somebody off the list. So leave everybody on there. Be egalitarian. Talk to everyone on a regular basis, both good and bad. You'll be shocked at the quality of some of the deals the bad brokers bring in and equally shocked at the quality that some of the good brokers do. But if you start kicking people off your list, if you start branding a broker as being bad and say, oh, I don't work with that person, he's bad, that isn't going to benefit you. It's not going to help you. When I look back on some of our best deals, they came from bad brokers. And it probably would be the same for you too. This is Frank Roth with the Self Storage University podcast. Hope you enjoyed this. Talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Self Storage University podcast. Be sure to visit us at ssupodcast.com where you can learn the correct way to identify, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, renegotiate, finance, turn around, and operate self-storage facilities.